Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. I hope you're enjoying a great week working with your team wherever you're tuning in. In the last week, we've published a brand new masterclass discussion with top academy coach Arthur Brammer. If you haven't seen the full version of the discussion, it's available on the website now via the Masterclass Discussions section. We also published a portion of that conversation on the podcast earlier this week, so I highly recommend you tune in for that one. We've also published two Q&A discussions in the last week or so, including today's podcast episode. Today's Q&A is a really nice discussion around when players are ready to have a set playing position. Dan and I discussed some of the key considerations, how you can use positions for individual development and targets, what changes with different ages and stages, as well as ensuring balance in your approach to this challenge. We have some more great content coming out next week, and Dan Wright is also working on an exciting new initiative for the PDP community, which should be launched this month, so watch this space. As usual, a quick reminder that if you haven't signed up to become a PDP member, we have highly affordable monthly or annual membership options at playerdevelopmentproject.com, so you can sign up and access all of our top coaching content. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hi everyone, my name is Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. As usual, I'm delighted to be joined by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you getting on? I'm very well, thank you, mate. What's going on with you? Well, we're in the middle of the season here in uh, Melbourne, Australia, and it's pretty chilly. Uh, winter is upon us and uh, right in the thick of the season. Plenty of good outcomes with the players and lots of time on the grass lately as well. So enjoying the coaching and, as always, trying to uh, continually improve PDP. So lots going on there content-wise as well. Dan, we've got a really interesting question uh, this week. It's coming from Mark via Facebook. And Mark's asked us, when should we give players a set position? Now, to provide a little bit of context, he's sort of he's working with younger players, but he's really interested in what age we should potentially continue to rotate or stop rotating players around different positions and when they might settle into a position or a unit. So have you got any thoughts on this one? Yeah, it's a fantastic question, isn't it? Um, what I'd like to start with, which is a, is a bit kind of off-piste, is why does this happen? So if you coach kind of six, seven, eight-year-olds, all of them can do every job on the pitch. Everybody wants to go and goal. Everybody wants to score goals, tackle each other. They run around. Um, if you did put them into sort of shape, they would find a way to kind of change that shape to get closer to the ball. But then when you get to maybe a certain age, and I reckon in the UK that's about 11, 12, mm. players become kind of very um, aware and very sure of where they're playing. And then you get conversations like, I'm a cam and uh, <laughs> I'm five and I can, you know, I'm a left-sided winger. Uh, and, all, and all these kind of things. And so I think it'd be a good place to start with kind of challenging the tradition of, of why does that happen? And is it adults kind of putting their um, thoughts into into kids' football? Or, or where, does, where does it come from, basically? Where does that kind of being a set position at 10 or 11 come from? Yeah, well, I think if I had the answer to that, there might be a book in it or at least some uh, some serious uptake on that information. But I think a few thoughts would be that Perhaps it's a physical thing, you know, different kids come in all shapes and sizes and maybe the taller kid gets thrown in goal or maybe the taller kid gets, uh, gets played at centre back because that's where we think they look like they would play. I think players yeah. will start to show certain attributes even from young ages or certain um, areas where they're strong. That might be as simple as running with the ball or showing a bit more ability to dribble versus pass and perhaps that lends itself to coaches whether consciously or unconsciously then putting them into a position which they then start to become defined by as they work their way through the ages and of course as they become more conscious and learn more of the game 
um, by the time they hit that 10, 11, 12, then they sort of start thinking, well, that's what I am. And I think mm. we'll dive into a few sort of famous stories of players moving around different positions. But this is something that I think we need to be fluid with based on what individuals need and based on what the outcomes are for our players. So perhaps we can start on talking about uh, the different phases, I guess, in terms of ages and, and ages and stages in terms of coaching is really important. Age-appropriate learning is something we've covered before. So how would you look at this if you were to talk about foundation phase players, those who are perhaps in that sort of 8 to 12 bracket? Mm, I think um, so. what would probably be common here in the UK is for those kids to rotate positions. So um, in, a, in a game, if you play four quarters or in grassroots football, sometimes they play two or three games on a, on a Sunday morning. Kids to play or experience different things in each game. So somebody might spend time at the back and in the middle and then out wide or up front um, and, and rotating those around. And I think that's probably what, you, what you're kind of um, hinting at is that you might start to see traits of people that are um, better or more comfortable, I suppose, in, in certain positions. Um, I think the benefits of doing that is you, you, you're going to see different stuff from the kids, but you're also going to put them in situations where they're going to see different pictures. So if I play at the back all the time, every single Sunday, I'm going to be used to receiving the ball from the goalkeeper and playing forwards. I'm not going to be used to uh, receiving under pressure from 360 degrees. I'm not going to be used to creating and scoring goals. I'm probably going to get it and pass forward, get it and pass forward and out, out of possession, um, defend and stop players. So it would be kind of showing or giving those guys opportunities to see different parts of the game. That would be kind of how it would work in definitely kind of 8 to 10. 11s and 12s might be slightly different. Um, would that be similar experience to what, to what you've seen? Yeah, I think so. I think um, there's a couple of things to consider here. So first of all, if you've got a game, and, and outside of injuries and, and those kind of things which come up, I think one policy that I've you know seen before at clubs that I've worked at is that within a game, a player won't play more than two positions. I think there's a danger of overloading them. You know, you start at centre-back, you end up at the left wing, and then you're playing up front. Well, how do you really get the time to get into any state of flow to actually learn what's required? So yeah. it might be that a player has an individual plan. Now, that plan may be around passing and receiving, let's say. Um, a player might need to get lots of repetition of forward passing. I remember a player that you and I worked with a number of years ago um, who was exactly you know working on exactly that and wanted to get lots of forward passing. This player was particularly quick, a good dribbler. So we played him at fullback in order to get lots and lots of repetition um, of just seeing those forward passes. And then from there, maybe the progression is to say, okay, we've spent a couple of weeks playing in, in the fullback role and the game's in front of you and you've got the outcome there. Now we're going to throw you into the middle of the park and we're going to give you a chance to be under more pressure where there's an opportunity to play forward, backwards, sideways, and the game's going to be a little bit more 360. So I I think if you're, if you're communicating that with the player and the parent as to why you're doing it, that's a good thing. I certainly think regarding those foundation phase ages, they need to be exposed to different parts of the game, attacking and defending and all the bits in between. And I think that will start to bring out the love of what the child wants to do. You know, there are some kids you, you coach who are, just love to defend. They hate getting beaten 1v1 and they love to get in the fight and the duel. And I think that's something that can lend itself to being a really good quality in any position. But obviously, naturally, maybe they'll start falling back. With the 11s and 12s, I think you've got to be careful again that, you know, if you're working through a couple of positions, maybe it's for a period of time. Maybe you give the player an opportunity just to play in one role for a little while, but then they get a chance to move around. I would certainly advocate exposing players for as long as possible um, to as many positions as possible, but trying to be mindful of that overload. I think that's what I'm trying to get out there. Mm. And I think um, as you move into kind of that youth development phase, whether that starts at 
12 or 13, kind of the, the secondary school ages here up into kind of 15, 16. I think that's when kids tend to sort of nail down one or two positions. So it might be, I'm a right back and a right winger or I'm a centre, centre mid and a centre back. And, and you, you would start to see um, considerations of, of players playing in, in, in one or two positions. I think um, one of the things that we've seen in the UK is that there's a lot in that youth development phase tied into kind of growth and maturation. So what you hinted at earlier about the bigger, stronger kids, generally the early maturing kids, the biggest, strongest, fastest play in the middle of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're centre-back, centre-mids and centre-forwards. And later maturing players get kind of pushed and squashed out to full back and wing because they're not going to um, hurt you in terms of uh, conceding goals. So I think there's a real nice development angle here. We had a piece, uh, I've seen a slide from you about Damari Gray before, about mm. um, how Birmingham City kind of played him in a different position. So it'd be nice maybe to share that story around how that would tie in with winning the game versus developing the individual. I think that's quite a nice story if you want to share that one. Yeah, and we're very fortunate to interview uh, Christian Speakman, who's obviously the academy manager up there at Birmingham City in a club we've been doing a little bit of work with lately. And essentially the story was that, you know, going to a game and Damari Gray's uh, journey, I think it was an under-21 game from memory, it may be wrong, but it's in issue nine of the PDP magazine. It's a great article called Built on Trust. The decision for the coaches on the day that Christian spoke about was, well, do we play Damari Gray in an area where we're going to win the game or it's going to be best for the team? Or do we play Damari Gray in an area which is going to help him in terms of his development? And the answer was the second one. So they played him in a sort of deep central midfield role where he got an opportunity to learn how to defend and learn how to do sort of a more protecting role, which longer term was going to add some tools to his toolkit to go and become a professional footballer. Now, again, we're talking about a professional example But if we take it back to grassroots, then I think we've got an obligation as coaches when ensuring that kids have a great experience, that they get exposed to those different parts of the game and that we can justify why they're doing it. You know, we're there to teach and facilitate environments where they get to learn about whatever sport they're playing, obviously football in this example. Um, Therefore, we've got to expose them to, to parts of the game and not let that kind of... Uh, I guess, sort of unconscious bias or even that sort of confirmation bias, you know, we're seeing the big kid, he should be a defender or he should be this. And just just let them sort of dip in and, and be exposed to different things. So I think that's a great example around how you can actually use different positions according to somebody's individual plan. Mm. And that and often in, in these Q&As, people kind of throw out the argument of development versus winning. And it isn't really a discussion a lot of the time. Like they're not separate conversations. Although sometimes you'll be doing things that are making it harder to win. So the best or the, the easiest thing or the, the most comfortable to win a game would be to put Tamari Gray, Tamari Gray probably 7 or 11 and give mm. him the ball in the 1-1. One one. But essentially what those coaches decided was that we know he can already do that stuff and what's the stuff that he needs to drag up to a certain standard so that he can play first-team football. Now, at kind of grassroots football and 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, that might sound a bit crazy, but essentially you might be putting kids in positions to get repetitions of things they need to work on. So if I need to work on my left foot, then the best situation is to put me left-sided centre-back or left wing where I'm receiving the ball on that left side over and over. I have to pass with my left foot rather than just having it as a target but always playing me in my position so I can sneak away using my right foot. I might control it my left foot here and there, but I do every single action with my right foot. So that, that is a, a good example of how you could kind of use it at, at every level, I guess. You could, you know, mm-hmm. if you've got individual, if you're, if you're truly focused and um, passionate about developing those individuals, is there a way you can use the game as an extension of training? I think it's, it's kind of the message we're, 
we're harping on here. Certainly is. And I think if we sort of move forward to older players, so we've sort of talked a little bit about foundation phase or that skill acquisition phase, as it's called in some countries. We've talked about the challenges that go with youth development phase, that teenage years when they're all at different stages of maturation or different shapes and sizes. When we start to sort of wind up and talk about those players who are potentially at the end of their teenage years, they're heading towards senior football, they're heading towards professional football if they're in those kind of environments, then I think we've got to consider how that looks. Have you got any experience um, from your time in terms of coaching with players at that age group um, and how it looks in terms of positional profiles? Yeah, I think the, the probably the benefit there is that you, you, you're seeing more of what you're going to see at the end. So if you're working with players kind of 17 to 20, that they're probably um, done a lot of their growing. So they're, they're going to physically what you're seeing is similar to what you're going to see at the end of that um, kind of pathway. Mm. So then physically, can you, you start to put them in positions that will help them get success? Um, hopefully by then they should have an outstanding uh, attribute, whether that's passing and receiving, ball striking, dribbling, stopping goals, scoring goals, whatever it is, that player should have a clear kind of um, tag of, of what they do well. And then it might be blending those two things together. So yeah, we've made a very quick list of a few players that have come through a system as certain types of players, but actually are now uh, playing at the very highest level. So Virgil van Dijk was one um, who was playing as a, a big centre forward, a big target man, and wasn't converted um, to a centre-back until his, his late teenage years. So that, that's, you know, one of the best defenders in the world. That's a good example. I'm, I'm reading uh, Iniesta's autobiography at the moment where he came through the system as kind of a number eight and then made his kind of first-team training and first-team debut as a, as a holding player, a four or a six. So that's, you know, that's a tough one to play for one of the best teams in the world in a completely different position. In that book as well, it talks about Puyol, who was... Yeah. Um, recruited as a, a wide right because he was an early maturing player who was quick and strong. Um, but then when he got to the academy, there were other right wingers that were better than him. <laughs> he he moved into a position to get success. Um, we've got really good examples of Ashley Cole and James Milner, people that were playing in certain positions. And, and Milner's a good one. What is James Milner's position? Who knows? Right back. mid <laughs> wide right. Um, and then I think... Another kind of angle, and this could be a whole separate Q&A, is goalkeepers. So there's some of the best goalkeepers to ever played the game didn't specialise until very late. So uh, Buffon, Neuer, Schmeichel, those guys were, were outfield players until very late in the journey and then and then plopped into goal and, and didn't have bad careers. So mm. it, it it's quickly, I suppose, going from where we started with the foundation phase of identifying nine-year-olds that play in certain positions and actually what's it going to look like during the journey and kind of keeping that door or that pathway open as long as possible so that kids can get experience of doing different stuff so that at 18, 19, we could say, hmm, might be actually a defender. You know those couple of games you did when you were 14? Let's have another go at that. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, a, it's a real fascinating conversation, but I think a lot of it is driven by kind of tradition and culture, isn't it, of what, what we expect football to look like at the adult end and how that's driving coaches' expectations of, of dealing with, with young players. Yeah, and I think we've talked about it previously, but we shouldn't necessarily be in a rush to get there. You know, I think it's sometimes, even at 13s, 14s, there's still this rush to get to 11 by 11 to get to what the game looks like uh, for 23, 24-year-olds when you're still dealing with kids learning the game. And, you know, there's been various interviews and, and a lot of content on the site around mixed experiences um, and, and variety of game formats and these kind of things. And even recently, you know, there was there were Premier League academies out in Singapore at a seven-a-side tournament with their under-15 teams because, you know, the, the, 
they're, they're playing 11 aside week in, week out, but those sort of clubs at that caliber are recognizing the need for variety in their, in their games program and going and playing seven aside or going to futsal tournaments in Germany and, and these kind of things. So I think that's really important. I mean, I'm working with older players at the moment in the sort of under 20 age group and and we're still, you know, whilst most of our players generally have a preferred position, um, there's one or two that can still play in different roles. And then there's a couple where there's conversations as to where they may still end up. And that decision remains, you know, sort of the jury's out a little bit because there is still time for some of these players when they're 16, 17, 18, working in that age group to potentially fall back. I think that happens more often than players going forward. But I think um, in terms of the defensive side of the game, there are, there's opportunity, I think, to educate players around defending, perhaps more so at that late stage than there is around uh, teaching somebody to be an unbelievable goal scorer, for example. I think that's something that potentially is shown at a younger age through those teenage years, and it may be more natural for players to fall back down the pitch over time as opposed to step forward. But of course, you know, anomalies like James Milner, he's that squad player that every coach wants, and you can just put him just about anywhere and he'll do a job for you. And I think having players that are versatile also adds value, and, and there are players that can do that. So, Dan, it's a really interesting topic. Any sort of final thoughts based on the conversation and advice for Mark? Yeah, I think... Um... Just to kind of recap, I'd be very careful of pigeonholing kids too early. Um, I think when you get to kind of 13, 14, they should still probably have two positions. I think something we haven't touched on, which might be good just to give 30 seconds, is how you communicate this with players. Mm. So kind of having some transparency around your, your kind of approach to player development rather than rocking up and your, your guy who thinks he's a number nine is playing right back. It shouldn't be a surprise. Like... If, it, if it's the norm and it's done throughout the club and it's done as soon as they come in, then probably you don't need to have a conversation about it. But if, you, if it's a, a new approach for the year or it's a new approach for that player, it might be worth just sitting down with him and explaining why you're doing what you're doing and, and um, uh, what the kind of logic is behind that pathway. Because I think you could damage kind of rapport and trust if you said, you know, if you're coming in expecting to be a right winger and then you play... Uh, left back you mm. need to have a conversation about that because don't expect the player to always take it um with the grace that, that you'd like <laughs> fantastic advice and yeah we definitely advocate for that sort of open honest communication and, and and also doing that with parents it's important that everybody's aware and giving people the courtesy of what they should expect on game day dan thank you again for your time hopefully we've helped mark there it was a really interesting conversation yeah fascinating question it'd be interesting to get some feedback on kind of the social channels of what people are doing in their clubs and um, how early they specialise, including the goalkeepers. I know we've touched on that one before, but it'd be an interesting uh, debate to start. Definitely. As Dan says, feel free to tweet at PlayerDP and uh, send us a message via the Facebook page if you like. Dan, thanks again for your time. We will look forward to another Player Development Project Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.